heat, fatigue. Your first symptoms are weakness, nausea, headache, muscle cramps, and dizziness. Your body is gaining heat faster than it can dissipate it. If your body's temperature continues to climb, your central nervous system starts shutting down, causing bizarre behavior, hallucinations, altered mental states, confusion, disorientation, sometimes death. It's called heat stroke. From NPR, this is Hearing Voices, supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts. Welcome to Heat. I'm Scott Carrier. You know the feeling. The temperature rises above 100 degrees. Movement, even thought, becomes harder and harder. For me, certain places, sounds, and songs conjure up memories of intense heat. And certain stories, too. Today, I have five of them. And each story shows symptoms of what I believe could accurately be diagnosed as the early stages of heat stroke. The first is a poem by Marjorie Van Halteren, produced by Luz Jansante and read by Russell Horton. It's called Dead of Summer. I can't even tell you about it, except to say that I hear bananas blackening Tempers screeching and feet in sponge tar that used to be the street. I can't even talk about it. Except to say that a man in a God Loves You t-shirt slid past and he had on argyle wool socks. Lord, we're dying the last melting masses of us baking in the squealing boxes breaking on the way down to the molten core and then we harden up in the daily refrigeration burn melt freeze I smell sweet Childhood Florida, Christmas vacation. I'm delirious with a dream of a tree, a wave, a ten-cent breeze in Michigan. Dead of summer, New York City, sunburn index nine. I don't even want to think about it. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking half dead, walking on the sidewalk harder than a match, yeah. But at night it's a different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on and dance all night. Despite the heat, it'll be alright. And babe, don't you know it's a pity the days can't be like the nights in the summer, in the city, in the summer, in the city. In the city, dressed so fine and looking so pretty. Cool cat looking for a kitty, gonna look in every corner of the city. Till I'm wheezing like a bus stop, running up the stairs, gonna meet you on the rooftop. But at night it's a different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on, if that's all night. Just like the heat, it'll be alright. And babe, don't you know it's a pity the days can't be like the nights in the summer, in the city, in the summer, in the city. You're listening to Sounds of Heat from HearingVoices.com. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Been down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be 
a shadow in the city All around people looking half dead Walking on the sidewalk harder than a matches But now it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on, and dance all night Despite the heat, it'll be all right And babe, don't you know it's a pity The days can't be like the nights In the summer, in the city Summer, in the city I've stood in valleys in June when it was 115 degrees and there's no one there and all the insects have gone to ground, died or fled and the birds don't move through the sky until dusk and you hear this sound, this thumping and you whip around and you think, what the hell, is somebody here? And then you realize for the first time since you've been on earth you're hearing your own body, your blood, your heart. The desert really melts things down and, and burns away the unimportant um, if you really enter into it on its terms um, as opposed to living in a completely air-conditioned, detached environment. And to let that fill you up in, inside is, is something that just is so natural for me to, to do and to express um, through with the music. As a kid, I can remember us walking along the roadways and seeing the pavement bubble up in front of us as we would walk along, because that's how hot it was out there. I've been out here when it hit 125. And at 125, if you had to walk a mile, you consider it life-threatening. I mean, it's, it's just such a strain on your system, which is trying to stay at 98.6. It's like I'm sitting here guzzling water, sitting in 109, 110 degrees, but I'm okay because I'm not moving. But uh, if you move, you pay. Seven-day forecast for the valley. It's going to be a hot one today. So the air conditioners, they will be cranking up this afternoon. 110 will be our high today under sunny skies, of course. So no significant changes in the weather pattern. Continued sunny, hot, and dry for at least the next seven days. Many people still tend to follow the old practices in the summertime, you know, getting up very, very early. And in the afternoons, the older people would sleep but younger people, literally, they would just sit and, and sort of let the body temperature just try and be stable. It would be this silence not only of lack of sound, you know, but also I think the silence of, of heat. The sun has moved down that way a bit, and yet it is so hot, all movement has almost stopped. A fly goes by so slowly, everything has slowed down. My father is sitting there, his head is tilted back and he's asleep. My sister is laying over there, asleep. The dog passes by, he is looking for shade. Everything has slowed down. I then sat down next to the rattlesnake. I, was t I thought, well, I've already stopped. I'll drink some water. Bill came up while I'm sitting there and starts poking the rattlesnake with a stick. Neither one of us thought anything of this. I realized then that the heat was starting to take its toll. It got worse. The time is 129. Current temperature, 109 degrees. It's absolutely languid melted, slow, flowing, but there's a certain, I guess the word would sometimes be a, a, a higher frequency, a higher searing kind of quality that almost has a, a, a sizzle to it. And the, and the music that I do, which a lot of times has a real languid sense of rhythm or no rhythm at all and completely expansive in that way, it really reflects the kind of you know, endless vistas that you can see at certain points and where you're seeing off 75 miles somewhere all the way down into Mexico. 
There was a news story that a car broke down just off the interstate of some tourists from Minnesota. A couple of them died from the heat. It was a huge story nationally. At the same time, people were crossing this desert from Mexico and dying all the time, and it wasn't reported. So I decided I would cross with them, and thereby get people to pay attention. You just plod on and on, like an automaton. And you, no matter how fast you drink, you can't pour it in fast enough. It's going out of your body faster. We left about 5 in the afternoon down there. We went 45 miles, broken country, no trail. The moon came up and the whole damn desert turned blue. Everything became blue, it's lustrous blue, you know. And this persisted for quite a while. I don't really remember. I was just walking when the dawn came on. You can just feel that electricity in the air. And, and for me, that feeling when the body starts to dissolve the boundaries of the your skin and your, and your sense of being inside of a form can really melt away with just the right combination of temperature and expanse. The hardest part of the journey is the last five miles. Most of the people die within sight of the interstate just looking at salvation and can't move. They had a guy die one mile south of the interstate and he was so desperate he lit the tree he was under and started a fire. They came out and found him, but by the time they got out to the burning tree, he died. It was his last gasp. My name is David Barksdale, and I'm a Border Patrol agent. I work uh, the reservation near Sales, Arizona. We find uh, whole families, uh, anywhere from grandparents to the newest babies, out here in this desert in the hottest days. Just uh, a new phenomenon to me. I, uh, you know, they they're not going to they're not going back. I, I think they've given up on where they're from and going to seek their better life here in the U.S. A fly goes by so slowly. Everything has slowed down. My father is sitting there. His head is tilted back and he's asleep. My sister is laying over there, asleep. The dog passes by. He's looking for shade. Everything has slowed down. And yet the clouds have slowly settled in. It's raining, it's raining, my father jumps up. Run and cover my grain. Run and get the clothes off the line. Everything is now moving and alive. My sister is up, the dog is up. Everything is now moving and alive. always riding on the IRT subway in Manhattan going uptown. It was in the middle of the summer, hot, sweltering. I was sitting next to a blind man who boarded the train way downtown at Canal Street. And we sat beside each other as the train stopped at Spring Street, Astor Place, 14th, 23rd, 28th, 33rd, Grand Central, 51st, 59th, and 68th. As we pulled out of 77th Street, I wondered if he'd lost track of the stops and didn't know what station was coming up next. So as the train pulled into 86th Street, where I was getting off, I leaned over and said into his ear, 86th Street. And he turned to me and shouted, I'm not dead! Summer in the City. My next door neighbors are a married couple with four daughters. The husband works at an office downtown. Every evening when he comes home, his wife, who is truly beautiful, a former Vogue model, in fact, and his four lovely daughters rush to embrace him at the door. You can even hear his dog yelping and whining with pleasure. Then they help him off with his jacket and his shoes and bring him his robe, his slippers, and his pipe. And while he reclines in the living room, sampling some hors d'oeuvres and sipping his customary drink before dinner, his wife puts the finishing touches on the meal, one of his children dutifully sets the table, and the others huddle around him lovingly, talking gaily about whatever happens to be on their minds. And then, after a superb dinner, they often repair to the music room where his daughters, each of whom is a gifted musician, perform pieces of chamber music for him. And it sounds as good as anything I've ever heard on recording. Then, one night last week, he came home. His wife and daughters hugged him. 
The dog cried out in joy. They helped him into his robe and slippers, and he sampled some smoked sturgeon, caviar, and pate de foie gras with truffles before sitting down to an exceptional dinner of duckling Rouenet. After which they repaired to the music room, where his daughters performed Beethoven's Serioso Opus 95. When he suddenly began to repeat louder and louder, No, 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 no. The ultimate form of protest was expressed, of course, by Houdini. His life was composed of a series of great refusals. He broke free of every condition imposed on him. They nailed him to a deck chair. He said no, and he escaped. They sealed him in a can of pina colada, and he said no way, and he broke out. They buried him under six feet of sand. He said nothing doing, and he miraculously appeared in a sailboat 100 yards offshore. They chemically welded his body to a canoe and sent him down the Colorado River. He said, "Not on your life!" They broke free and swam to shore. Then they locked him in an air-conditioned movie theater, and he said, "Never!" Five minutes later, they found him sipping lemonade in a luncheonette next door. There's an old story about a blind man who carried a cripple on his back, so that together they could make a journey that neither could make alone. The cripple weighed 400 pounds and broke the blind man's back, and they spent the rest of the summer sprawled in the dirt at the edge of the road, arguing about the meaning of what had happened to them. So my idea of a good time is lying on a beach with a 44 Magnum automatic, shooting down surfers at random to illustrate the absurdity of human existence. Is hard work nowadays, in spite of labor-saving devices that rearrange the chronology of your life, and you'll find new meanings and values you never saw before. No, 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 no! I'm not dead. Though I do feel under the weather, this heat is really something to contend with, and no one will listen. Will you please listen to me? Will someone please look at me? I'm a human being, foolish. It's true, but not crazy. I just do this for entertainment. And it's hard work trying to have a good time when your skin is turning to leather in the sun, and there's sand between your toes and in all your pores, and your liver is being eaten away by rum punches, mint juleps, and white Russians, and they've nailed you to a deck chair and told you to smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. After all, it's just theater, nature with costumes, and you're missing a great deal if you can't suspend your disbelief. And I want to go away and strut around like a peacock. Will you listen to me? Please listen to me, because you're my sunshine, my only sunshine. You'll make me happy if you bring my robe, my slippers, and my pipe, and let me be your dictator and make you do what I want you to do. No, 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 no! I'm not dead. Excuse me, I'm. Just a blind man with a cripple on my back,、uh, riding the subway uptown.、Uh, only I've forgotten what city I'm in, and they keep on dumping bodies in the car along with the drugs that kill them. And it, it's awfully hot in here. You know what I mean? I try to keep on smiling, though. After all, there's no use crying. I can always go to Nova Scotia or the Cook Islands. So just remember, the sun shines from one place in the sky. Keep that in mind. Whenever you're feeling blue and ill-used and dizzy with despair, remember the sun shines from one place in the sky.
You're listening to Sounds of Heat from HearingVoices.com. We just heard part of an early work by Joe Frank from 1979, Summer Notes. Joe's work is online at JoeFrank.com. Before that was an audio collage by Jeff Rice, featuring residents of Tucson, Arizona, including author Charles Bowden, poet Ophelia Zapeta, and Steve Roach, who also wrote the music. Songs were by The Flying Lizards and The Love and Spoonful. In the next half hour, we're going to take a very long and very hot drive down a lonely stretch of American Highway. Sit back and enjoy the heat. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. From NPR, this is HearingVoices.com. from hearingvoices.com. Stand by. And it's 103 degrees out here. Look, I put in 20 years with the network. Three, I should have got that campaign two, assignment. One, roll theme. From Broken Short, Nevada, special election coverage of the piano steeplechase. But what? Dance on warning. Warning. The jockeys are mounting up here at the start of this race, and the big question is, can these kitty cats pull these big upright pianos at the speeds up to 25 miles an hour necessary to win? 
And just look at those kitties pull. They're through the first turn and up the back stairs of O'Leary's Saloon. Let's go to the action as they descend the stairs inside. Dan? 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 Thanks, John. I'm here with race director Bob. Where's Dan? What's your last name, Bob? Dan. Oh, Bob. Bob. Oh, your last name. Dan? Bob. Bob, Bob. Bob? Bob? Let's go to the team, Fred. As you can see, it's a bit hard to hear in here. Fred. Oh, no, thanks. I have a beer. Fred. Well, Bob, it sounds like it's going to be hot work out there for the kiddies. No, they're the, they're the little heroes, John. See, the piano stands for the deficit in the president's budget. And the kitty cat, well, he's the taxpayer. <laughs> well, what about the whips, Bob? Well, the whips are about the only way you can move your cat. Especially with the piano. These cats can be reluctant. <laughs> I'll bet. See, now, without the whip, you'd have to push the piano up the stairs yourself. Well, it'd be a pretty dumb race. Well, one thing, you'd have to have some more piano. Listen to this crowd roar for the finish here in O'Leary's Saloon. Let's have a word right now with one of the little heroes of this race. Kitty. Kitty. Well, that's one hot, tired kitty cat. I'm John Rieger. Dance on warning. You want a beer, kitty? But what? Dance on warning. On warning. Adapted from a comic strip by Dan O'Neill. That was The Little Heroes by John Rieger. You're listening to Sounds of Heat. It was summer, the middle of a hot summer. I drove to San Francisco to visit a friend and escape the heat. But when I got there, almost right as I got off the Bay Bridge, my truck began to die. It lost its power, and I could barely make it up the steep hills. I was stalling traffic, throwing out big black clouds of smoke, forcing people to cover their faces and walk on the other side of the street. It had never been a good truck, always a collector of bad luck, bents, cracked cylinder block, broken clutch pushrod, broken brake lines, and smashed headlights. All sad stories. I considered driving it to Fisherman's Wharf, taking the plates, ceremoniously shooting the horse and walking away from it. But then I slept on it. And in the morning I thought, maybe a mechanic can fix it. Someone who actually knows about engines. I pulled into a quick tune and a guy there put it on the scope. His name was Chen, from Vietnam. He didn't speak a lot of English. This one, you know, the EGR worked too much, so that the car no power. Chen said my EGR valve was working too hard, letting too much oxygen or not enough oxygen into the combustion chamber, but that he'd fixed it by plugging a vacuum hose with a spark plug he'd pulled out of the garbage. The car more power. Right now, more power, okay? Now, he said, the car had power. And he was right. The car did have power. I got on Interstate 80, headed toward Sacramento, doing 85 miles an hour, going back home to Salt Lake City. But then, in Sacramento, I saw a sign that said, U.S. Highway 50, Ocean City, Maryland, 3,073 miles. And I took the exit. 3,000 miles. Not that far. I knew there was a strong possibility that the spark plug in the vacuum line was only a temporary fix and that the engine might lose its power at any moment and I'd have to walk away from it. But it was summer, the middle of a hot summer, and I didn't have anything better to do.
Highway 50, where it runs across the basin and range, is known as the loneliest road in America. It's an old route, probably ancient, first used by white men in 1849 on their way to Sutter's Mill, then the Pony Express and the Overland Stage in the early 1860s. Mark Twain rode the Overland Stage in 1861, and he hated this particular stretch across the basin and range. He said it was worse than the horrors of the Sahara. That's one reason it's so lonely out here. The other is that almost all traffic to the coast now follows Interstate 80 to the north or Interstate 15 to the south, leaving this huge open space containing 100 separate mountain ranges and 150 separate basins, sort of like the surface of a golf ball. On a clear day, on this part of Highway 50, it's easy to see 50 miles in every direction, sometimes 100. But it was a summer of forest fires, 7 million acres burning throughout the Intermountain West, all caused by dry, violent thunderstorms that blew through in June, leaving smoke in their wake. Then it got hot and windy, and every day just got smokier and smokier, to where in the morning and evening you could stare straight at the sun, to where it was like you were living through the final days of a dying planet. From the desert of the basin and range, Highway 50 enters the desert of the Colorado Plateau, through sandstone canyons, like from the Planet of the Apes, across the Green and Colorado Rivers, and then following the Gunnison River up the western slope of the Rockies to Monarch Pass, crossing the Continental Divide at 11,000 feet. My truck ran with a check engine soon light blinking on and off, gasping and coughing its way over the pass. But it made it up and over, And from there, it was downhill for 100 miles along the Arkansas River, people in kayaks running the rapids, to the town of Pueblo on the eastern slope of the Rockies, looking out at the Great Plains. I stopped there to see a friend, Albert Paycheck. We ended up in his backyard, where he showed me his rock collection. Here's some uh, rainbow obsidian, really beautiful stuff. I'll strike a little All right. chunk off now. I can find my sandstone. Okay. It's not safe to do this without some sort of protection, you know, because you, it's very sharp and you can get cut. See, uh, you can see the color. Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful stone. It, it's a black rock, but in the at a certain angle to the sun, it reflects. What colors do you see there? Uh, green, blue, purple. Uh, there we go. Is that amazing or what? When I first started flint napping, I, I thought that obsidian came in black and black, you know. But it's amazing the, the colors that you can see. It's, I find that it's, it's like a meditative state working with the stone. It gives me a sense that uh, there is more to everything around us than just uh, uh, more to stone than just being an inanimate object that it actually there is energy with it and that you can uh, when you make something that en- energy is transferred to it Albert made me a 5 inch Clovis spear point black obsidian that reflected tiny rainbows in each chip and groove sharp as a razor. I put it on my dashboard, hoping its energy would somehow transfer to my engine. From the Rocky Mountains, Highway 50 runs across the high plains and sort of a connect the dots between small farming and ranching towns, mainly Hispanic, a landscape once famous for buffalo, but is now famous for cantaloupe. Leaving Pueblo, the weather was partly cloudy, 90 degrees of low humidity, but it became hotter and more humid with every mile, 
to where in central Kansas it was over 105 and very humid, no clouds, a little wind. And it had been like that for a long time, several weeks anyway. The fields of corn, six and seven feet tall, had turned brown. The stalks and the husks around the cobs were dry as a bone. To deal with the heat, I poured water on my clothes and drove with the windows down, and I sought refuge in Walmarts on the edges of the small towns. Every town had one, although some towns had Walmart supercenters. A disaster for Main Street, but they were like oases to me. I'd go in and get hit by a wave of cold air that was like jumping into a mountain lake. Took my breath away. I'd take a cart and walk through the aisles, selecting items like a sleeping bag, a fishing rod, hundred feet of rope, spray paint, watercolors, a six-quart cooler, power drill, a clock radio. And then, when the cart was full, I'd backtrack, returning everything to its place on the shelf. If I concentrated and thought carefully about my selections, the whole process would take a couple of hours. Then I'd get back on the road and drive through the sweltering heat. My truck, surprisingly, ran without overheating, but I was so hot I went brain dead. At one point, I found myself off the highway, driving along a back road, going east, but I couldn't remember how I'd gotten off the highway. I came to a small town, and there were some cars parked in front of a bar. The sign at the bank across the street said it was 106 degrees. I'm Sam Kennedy, and uh, I live at, uh, up around Big Springs, and we're in Overbrook, Kansas right now. I'm Crystal Kennedy. I believe this is our... 16th day of over 100 degrees. We haven't had weather like this, they say, since 1936. It's been, we're getting pretty well burnt up now, pretty dry. Uh, I've got beans that are probably five foot high, and, and uh, they're probably the size of buckshot right now because they've all burnt. And uh, the chickens are panting. <laughs> they stick their little slitted tongues out and huff and puff. And uh, my bees, they were just all over the hive last night, and then they're trying to keep everything cool in there for the queen. But I'm going to harvest probably this next weekend. I'm going to take the honey and start feeding them because there's no, no plants here for them to live on. Everything's dried up. And here we buy all this seed, buy all this fertilizer, buy all this spray to keep everything nice and weed-free. And yet at the end of the year, you take the crops to the elevator and you sell them, and you get this check, and it looks like a really big check, but then when you take it to the bank, a lot of times you'll just barely break even. You might have 50 bucks left. So that's when you come over here to this place and drink a few beers and talk to your friends, and they're all in the same shape. Everybody's been the same. I saw two cars spontaneously combust in Kansas. They got so hot, they lit on fire and burned spewing black toxic smoke from under the hoods. One was in a parking garage in Lawrence near the Natural History Museum on the university campus. The other car exploded on the freeway around Kansas City, two teenage boys in an old Mustang. East of Kansas City, once over the Missouri River, Highway 50 winds through the hills and forests of the Bible Belt, the Ozarks dead turtles upside down and bloating on the side of the road, live rattlesnakes in the churches, bugs frying in the blue light zappers of Sedalia. Churches with signs out front saying, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Free trip to heaven, details inside. And the crickets, or locusts, or whatever they were, was like a jungle. I stopped in Jefferson City at midnight. The streets were vacant and smelled from the mud of the Missouri River running just north of the Capitol building. I tried to go down to the river to sleep, but there was no way to get to it from the city. 
I ran into fences and thick forests, and so I drove on, stopping at a convenience store to buy three beers, which I proceeded to pound back while cruising through a fog. I take you, my children, and your mother, your mother's mother, who cries tears of sorrow upon you all. Please remember this. The time is going short. I have wandered throughout Earth, trying to warn you, my children, depending on a small handful of loyal souls to bring these messages to you. But what does he really have? Nothing. Because when he wakes up after death, he wakes up in hell. On the other hand, here's the poor man Lazarus, who has none of the needs, the physical needs satisfied. He lives out of the garbage pail. The dogs lick his sores. And it looks like he, the Lord, just has forgotten him, absolutely forgotten him. East of St. Louis, after the arch in the Mississippi River, Highway 50 gets crowded. What was once the loneliest road in America becomes America's Main Street, or that's what I read they call it, and it's appropriate. Some people might think it quaint to drive through the downtowns of one small town after another, but I was hating it. There was a lot of traffic, a lot of cops, used car lots, strip malls. Sometimes the highway was a four-lane freeway. Sometimes it was a neighborhood street running by driveways and front lawns and big houses. Sometimes it vanished altogether, and I'd find myself on some other road with a different name. And my engine was running like the timing belt had lost its shape, running lean and then running rich. It was giving up, wanting to die, but I pushed it mercilessly, scared of being stranded in middle America. I drove and drove, and it was like I wasn't getting anywhere. I drove without sleeping. It was too warm and sticky to sleep. Somewhere in Ohio, I stopped to talk to a guy who was sitting by the side of the road, whittling walking sticks. All of, all of these is my sticks. This, these, these, this is apple wood. And this, this is sour wood. I bought 300 off my brother, 94, 397. Huh. I've bought 780 sticks off of him for the last four years. Huh. I've got all different kinds of wood, just about it. Huh. Any, about any kind of wood you name, I've got it. Huh. And then I've got OK Al's there. And now I, I don't, I've got them all initialed. Got, got the year I cut them. Huh. And, and I've got my, na- my initial on them, my last K. I've got a K on them and, and got them all dated. Hey. Now, I've bought some that's got carved on. I don't do no carving. I'm a whittler. I call myself a whittler. I don't, I'm not a carver. Huh. I don't, I, I bought some that, that's got carved on, but I don't put my initial on them. I don't date them. Why do you call yourself a, a whittler instead of a carver? Well, because uh, I don't carve faces. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get my son started doing carving, you see. Huh. I mean, it, it makes a stick sell better, you know, it, it, but I enjoy doing this. I've been doing it 13 years, so I must have, huh. <laughs> I sold I, I did this eight years. I didn't sell many sticks at all. But the last last five years, I'm well satisfied with what I'm doing. What made the difference in the sales? Well, and For the first eight years, you didn't sell very much, and then what happened? 
well, uh, I mean, well, it, it, it got the news got out what I do, you know, and everybody. Public is funny. You'd be surprised <laughs> what how what how people is. I'm not trying to get rich. I, I like I, I got five dollar sticks there. Uh -huh. I still, I've, I've got twelve dollars in them. Huh. I buy three sticks and I sell them three sticks for five for ten dollars. Huh. I spend uh, I spend anywhere from from. Well, most usually I'm out here at 8 o'clock in the morning and 8, 8 at night. I've sat here and whittle. Huh. That's, 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 I enjoy it really, really. Yeah. I woke up in a parking lot next to the Ohio River at Clarksburg, West Virginia, a quiet morning. The word Ohio comes from an Iroquois word meaning beautiful river, and it was big and sleepy. You grew up here. Yeah, so. I, I grew up here. I, I love it. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I was reading in a book that the word Ohio is a, comes from an Indian word for meaning beautiful rivers. Is that right or is that... It, it's probably true because there's a lot of history of Indians up through the whole Mid-Ohio Valley here. There's Indian mounds that go up further north and there's history that goes down south. My grandmother herself was uh, Indian and uh, there's a, if you was to go into to the corn fields after the f farmer's plow, you can actually find arrowheads, it's perfectly you know, preserved arrowheads that the Indians made. So what tribe? What tribes are from around here, and what tribe are you, you descended from? I, I don't know what tribe. My, my father is deceased, but he, he had mentioned several times, and I, I don't know actually what tribe. I didn't even know my grandmother. She was already passed away by the time I was born. And, but I, I know there's definitely history I would love to do. I didn't even know a whole lot about my father, and there, I wish I knew more about that, too. From the Ohio River, Highway 50 crosses the Monongahela Valley and then begins winding up through the Allegheny Mountains, following a route originally surveyed by 16-year-old George Washington in 1748. He was a friend and employee of Lord Fairfax, who used to own this land. Washington ended up with 30,000 acres from the Potomac to the Ohio. And when he became president, he authorized funding for the construction of what was then called the Northwest Turnpike, which is how Highway 50 began, a route to the Ohio and the wilderness beyond. Crossing the Alleghenies was more difficult than going over the Rockies. The road is narrow and winding, with a lot of up and down, thick forests, crossing a number of passes, and a lot of logging trucks and coal trucks. And then my truck was just pitiful. I'd be going 40 miles an hour, and there'd be a big truck right on my tail trying to get around. In the small town of Mount Storm, at the summit of what seemed like the highest mountain, I stopped to take a break and let a coal truck go by and watched an old man mowing his lawn. That's a chief... Lawn Chief. True Value Lawn Chief. That's sold by several local hardware stores in this area. I've owned it for two years. Yeah, I've, I start on my outer edge of my property and I make circles inward. I like to throw my grass uh, one direction all the time, same direction, so that I don't mow the same grass over and over. Some people like to mow it over and over. That's called mulching. I don't care much for that. I killed a, a small snake over in that area a while ago. It, 
ran over him with that. And you saw it go under or you, you heard it get I, chopped? I saw him go under. I drove into Washington, D.C. in the morning and spent the day walking around the Smithsonian Mall visiting Kenneth Snelson's tensegrity needle outside the Hirshhorn, and then I drove out of the city at night, over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, all lit up and beautiful, to Ocean City, Maryland. Highway 50 ends there at the boardwalk along the beach, 3,200 miles from the Pacific at San Francisco. I slept in my cab. In the morning, I watched a guy building a giant head of Jesus out of sand on the beach, and then I went swimming. It was the first time I'd cooled off in days. And then my truck died. It spewed out a big black cloud of exhaust and gave up the ghost. It was over. I pulled the plates, stuffed my things in a bag, took the stereo and my rainbow obsidian spear point and left the key in the ignition. It was evening, raining hard but I was only 2,300 miles from home. You've been hearing Heat from HearingVoices.com. We heard stories by Marjorie Van Halteren and Luz Sante, Jeff Rice, John Rieger, Joe Frank, and myself, Scott Carrier. links to all the producers you heard this hour at hearingvoices.com Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting a private corporation funded by the American people and the National Endowment for the Arts which believes a great nation deserves great art Our producers are Scott Carrier Ann Hepperman, Larry Massett and Kara Oler Our intern is Max Darham. Mix engineer is Robin Wise of soundimagery.com. Executive producer is Barrett Golding. From NPR, National Public Radio, this is hearingvoices.com.